0: Welcome to the Crossroads Youth Podcast. We hope this encourages and empowers you to be connected to God and one another. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Well, have you ever wanted to be a a king or a queen? Like I kind of picture this like Simba, you know, in the Lion King, this like big dramatic like, oh, I just can't wait to be king, right? I feel like most kids at some point or another have that like dream, that desire, the thought of never ending money and power and authority and influence is, is appealing to, to most. There are the occasional like Prince Harry's and Meghan Markle's who are like, hey, that's not for me. But for the most part, a part of like everybody's like dream job one day is like, Man, I, I I wanna be king. And so today we're gonna talk about three different kings in the Bible. Now, although all three were kings, they couldn't be more different than, than King Kong and King James. You see, in the Old Testament, there's this book called First Samuel. And although this book is all about Samuel's life, during or in this book, we see uh, the, the bringing about of a couple different kings. See, the crazy part is Israel wasn't really even supposed to have a king. But here's how it happened. See, from the beginning, Israel was God's people. God protected them, God provided for them. God had been with them since the beginning. And what God did is he instituted what we call judges over the years to kind of keep the nation in check, right? That's where you get the book of Judges. And these judges were more of like prophets, of mouthpieces, of spokespeople for God. They didn't have any kind of ultimate authority over Israel, but they were the people that God was using to guide his people. And at the beginning of 1 Samuel, Israel just has this string of like bad luck. So they went to battle with the Philistines and lost. In this battle, 1 Samuel chapter four, it's described as a slaughter where Israel lost 30,000 soldiers and the rest of the soldiers ran home with the tail between their legs. During this battle, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and Eli, who was the judge at that point, both of his sons were killed. And when news got back to Eli, it literally said that, the, that he fell backwards in his seat, he hit the gate, he broke his neck, and he was dead since he was old and fat. That's the Bible, that's not me, it's just what it says. And this is where Samuel steps in. Samuel is considered to be like the last judge of Israel. He was also a prophet, he was also a spokesman for God. And the Bible says that the Lord was with Samuel and he protected Israel all the days of Samuel. But eventually Samuel got old. The Bible says that his two sons, they didn't walk with the Lord. They they weren't good to be the next judge. And so the elders of Israel decided, you know what we need? We need a king. They've they've gone to battle and they've lost. They've seen that the other nations, well, they all have kings now and now they wanted one. No longer was God's protection and providence good enough for them. Now that they wanted a human because that'll fix it. In reality, Israel's desire for a king was a rejection of God's rule. Like, like what Israel really wanted in a king was simply military protection. They trusted in a human warrior more than they trusted in the invisible God even though throughout history, God had continued to protect them, continued to be there with them. See, that wasn't good enough anymore. First Samuel 8 says that the, Israel is, has a desire for the king and they said that there shall be a king over us, that, that, that we might be like all the other nations and that our king may judge us and go out, for, go out before us and fight our battle. Now, let's pause there for a second. What we have here is God's people who, who have been protected by God and who have been provided for by God, yet they wanted what everybody else had. And before we get onto them, I gotta believe that we do that too sometimes. We know what God has to offer, right? We know that, that life with God is better than life without, yet we put our trust in other things sometimes, whether it's money or popularity or acceptance or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or an influence. Man, if I just have that, this person, this thing, man, that'll lead to everything I've ever wanted. If I get a video to go viral, then I'm gonna be YouTube famous. If I'm with the right guy or girl, I'm gonna be popular. I'm gonna feel loved. If I can become a social media influencer, well, then people are gonna start looking to me, and I'm gonna feel important. I'm gonna now feel like, I matter. If I have the right job, if I make enough money, well, then I won't have to rely on anybody else, even God. No, now I'm gonna be providing for myself. Whether we say it out loud or not, I feel like we've all been at that point where we're foolish enough to think, man, I can do it my way. Uh, My way is better. So Israel demands Samuel, their judge, to bring about a king, and God allows it. See, one thing I've learned over time is that sometimes God allows us to get what we want in order to really show us what we really need. He allows Israel to bring about their first king. And that's when we get introduced to King Saul. Let's call him the people's king. Saul was the, the easy cho- choice as the first king, okay? He was tall, says he was shoulders above everyone else, he was strong. He was attractive. He was from a, a wealthy family. Does it remind you of anybody? Thank you. I know. So Samuel anoints Saul as king over all of Israel, over all of God's people, commanding him to, to protect them from the surrounding armies. Now, now, Saul's kingship kind of started in a way that, man, I wouldn't have written it that way for myself. And in 1 Samuel 10, we hear this story that that Samuel has all the tribes of Israel come together and he's gonna introduce Saul as king. And guess what? He's nowhere to be found. They start looking around, they send out search parties and Saul says that Saul was hiding out in the baggage. Not how I want my first days of being a king to, to be written about, but it happened. But it got better from there. His first battle was against the Ammonites. Uh, After being told that all of Israel would have to gouge out their right eye as a sign of like disgrace, of shame, Saul said, hey, we're not doing that. And he rallied the troops. He went and defeated the Ammonites, struck them down in one day. And all of Israel rejoiced. Saul was the man. His popularity was off the charts. And as long as he had God's anointing, God's protection, well, then Israel loved him. He went to battle for them. He was the people's king. And then one day, all that started falling apart. See, in 1 Samuel 13, we see Saul make this huge mistake. You know what it was? He offered a burnt sacrifice himself. Doesn't sound like a big deal, right? To you and me, we're like, okay, cool. But Saul was in this situation where where he was separated away from Samuel, who was allowed to do uh, sacrifices. He was out there, he was with his, his army. They were about to go and fight the Philistines and, and his army's like, hey, we don't wanna wait for Samuel no more. Samuel said, hey, go ahead go ahead of me and I'll meet up with you in seven days and wait for me, okay? Seven days exactly had passed and Saul's army is getting restless and so he's faced with a scared army with the pressure of being the king, not knowing what, what he's supposed to do and he decides to take matters into his own hands. He does things his way. He decides to offer the sacrifice without Samuel. You know what happens? Samuel shows up right after. And Samuel uh, gets onto him and he says, "'You have done a foolish thing, "'not keeping the commandment the Lord gave.'" Why was it foolish? Because, Sam, because Saul took matters into his own hands. Instead of being patient, instead of waiting on the Lord, he decided, man, I'm gonna do this my way. My, my people are ready, this needs to happen now. And this was a test of Saul's patience and his dependence on God, on God and Saul failed. See, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't patient, and it would ultimately cost him his popularity and his position as king. His self-reliance, thinking he could do what he wanted without obeying Samuel or obeying God would ultimately lead to his demise. This was the beginning of the end. He went, on, he went from the popular king to the prideful king, and from this point forward, God would be looking for a replacement king for Samuel, one that instead of seeking his own ways, sought God's heart. See, when we choose popularity over purpose, over what God has called us to, we miss the reason that God has us in the positions he has us. Uh, whether you're the, the first chair in the band, whether you're the, the starter on varsity, or you're the, the B team backup, man, God has you where he has you for a purpose. And a lot of times we try to rush through that and we try to do things our way. We try to say, "Man, I, well, if I just got to that position, then I'd be important. Then I'd have some influence. And, and I believe what God's trying to teach us is to, to, to trust him and to be patient with where he has us today. I know as a junior high and high school student, it's really easy to look for the future, to look and say, man, I, when I get to college, that's when I'm gonna start whatever. When I become an adult, things are going to be so much easier, and I'm going to be able to do all kinds of things, whatever I want. And I believe that if we, we just focus on the future and don't see where God has us right now, man, we tend to miss the opportunities that God puts us in right here and right now. Saul missed it. He did things his own way. He, God said that, that he would send Samuel, um, and, and Saul said, man, I'm going to do it my own way. So God sent Samuel on a mission to find the next king. We're gonna call that king the the powerful king. So skip ahead a little, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16. I know we're doing a lot of 1 Samuel all in like one sermon. I'm giving you the overview, but it's all right. 1 Samuel 16, and we find our next king, Saul's replacement. The Lord sent Samuel to the house of Jesse where where he was gonna identify the next king of Israel. And when Samuel tells Jesse that it's one of his sons, Jesse does what most fathers in that day would do. And he says, all right, bring in the oldest son. He brings in this guy named Eliab. And Eliab looked the part, just like Saul did. He was the oldest. He, he, He was the guy that would be the easy choice. But the Lord told Samuel, hey, this isn't the guy. In fact, this is where we we get the famous verse, which is also this week's memory verse, 1 Samuel 16, 7, where God says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, God doesn't care about how his king looks. He wants somebody with a heart that's in line with his. That's true for Israel's king, and that's true for you and me. See, so often we focus on making everything look right on the outside, right? Jesus would call this the, the, the whitewashed tombs, which on the outside, everything looks like it's pieced together, like everything's going right, but on the inside is your heart lined up with God's heart. And if that's you today, I, I can tell you it's easy to trick people, even your closest friends, into thinking, man, me and God, we're close, we're tight. Everything is going so right in my life. But the Lord knows. He knows our hearts. He he knows our thoughts. And he he cares about the condition of your heart. So back to the story. We get Samuel and we get Jesse, and they've gone through seven of, of Jesse's sons over and over again, same story. Hey, maybe it's this guy. Well, no, it's not. And Samuel says, hey, don't you have another son? Bring bring him in. And we get introduced to David, the youngest of the bunch, the the forgotten one, the one that, that nobody would expect to be king. And when he comes in from keeping the sheep, Samuel immediately recognizes him and anoints him as the next king of Israel. Why David? I gotta believe a part of it was that he wasn't the model king. He wasn't the, the easy choice. He wasn't the biggest, the best looking, the most popular. No, he was a hard worker who would follow God's lead. And when Samuel anointed him as, as the next king, the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. You know why I call David the powerful king? He's not the, the all powerful king, right? There's only one of those. But David's the powerful king because his power wasn't from himself. The power that he had came from doing things the Lord's way. His power was from the Lord. Think about it. Even as a young boy, not much older than than many of you, we see David go to battle with an undefeated warrior named Goliath. When his brothers mocked him for even showing up to the battle and leaving the sheep, David stepped up, armed with nothing more than a sling and a stone and the power of God. It says that when they were face to face, David, not face to face, they were far off, but when David saw Goliath, there's this like all time like dramatic moment found in 1 Samuel 17, I'm gonna read it to you. They're going back and forth David Goliath's saying, hey, who is this that you'd come and, and, and fight me as a, a huge Philistine? And David says, hey, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head." And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword or with spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Man, David was ready. He's saying, you're coming at me with a sword and with a spear. I've got something so much greater. Armed with the power of God, he ran into battle, popped Goliath in the head with that stone, ended up cutting his head off, marching through the city like David did it as a teenager, as a young kid. But power doesn't always look like winning a battle. Later on in David's life, we have this moment where Saul is still the king and he's got this vengeance, this grudge out for David. Multiple times we see him going out trying to kill David. So David's on the run. Finally, Saul had an idea of, hey, David's over here somewhere in this area. David's in there hiding in a cave. Saul goes in there to relieve himself. And David has this moment. Man, I can kill Saul right here, right now. All of this would be behind me. I'd be done running. I'd be able to take my place as the rightful king. And you know what David does? Cuts off a piece of his robe. He says, I'm not doing it that way. If it were Saul, my guess is he would do it his way. If it were me, I'd probably do it my way too. But David says, that's not the way I want this to happen. He cuts off his robe just to show Saul, hey, Saul, I could have done this, but I didn't. And Saul recognizes that there's something different about David. David actually spared Saul's life two different times. Now, eventually Saul did die. It wasn't from David's hands, And David would take over and would, would become the next king of Israel. And while David was king, Israel was built into this powerful and prosperous nation, winning battles, taking over Jerusalem, Even though Solomon was the one who actually built the temple, David laid all the plans out for it. Like David did some incredible things, brought Israel to this place of power and prosperity. David was a great king for Israel. He was the powerful king, right? But he wasn't flawless. No, later on in his story, you see that his power, his prestige, his prosperity would eventually get him into trouble. If you jump over to Second Samuel chapter 11, you see the, this story, this point that, that David was led down this path of, of not even going to war with his people. The, this warrior, the, this guy that, that relied on God's power said, hey, I'm not gonna go with you. Here's, what, here's how the Bible says it. In the spring of the year, this is 2 Samuel 11, 1, the time when kings go out to battle... David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. You know what happens next, right? The infamous David and Bathsheba story, where David wasn't where he was supposed to be. He was alone, isolated away from his army and his soldiers. And he allowed himself to catch a glimpse of someone that he wasn't supposed to be looking at. While one of his officers was out at war, David caught up and sinned with that officer's wife. And you know what David did after that? Everything he could to cover it up. All the way to the point of sending Uriah to the front lines, knowing that he would be killed in battle. The same guy that stood up to a giant with the power of God was failing allowed himself to, to, to be led to this point that, is, that was his greatest downfall in life. And the reality is that could happen to any one of us. When we're not where we're supposed to be, doing what we're supposed to be doing, we could end up doing something that we never thought we would. And that was David's story. He was the powerful king and he used his godly power to do some incredible things. But he also used his worldly power to lead to his greatest failure. And by the end of his story, God would restore David. And David today is still known as a man after God's own heart. He was the powerful king, but he wasn't a flawless king. So although there are many different kings in the Bible, uh, good kings, bad kings, there's only one who could hold the rightful title as the perfect king. You see, David's flaws didn't disqualify him from being a leader, but they did disqualify him from ruling God's kingdom permanently. Israel needed a king who would lead with God's heart, not just chase after God's heart. That's why God sent Jesus. You see, this was the only way to have a perfect king. It wasn't because he was popular or good looking. It wasn't because he was powerful, although he was it was because he was the only one who could be perfect. Jesus was 100% God and 100% man 100% of the time. And he was the only one who could lead with the heart of God and also lead God's people. See, Jesus was the ultimate king of Israel, but it looked different than any king before him, right? Jesus didn't come and raise up some huge military army. He didn't pass all these laws and all these decrees. Really, until he went to heaven, he never even sat on a throne. Yet he was the perfect king. He knew his father was in heaven. He knew that his father in heaven was the only one that could be the right king, the true king. So you know what Jesus did while he was here? He lived a life as a servant. He went about doing things for others. He healed people. He he helped people. King Jesus took up his basin and his towel and washed the disciples' nasty feet. Like his life on earth was never about him. That's the kind of king he was. From the time that he taught his disciples how to pray in Matthew 6 to the time that he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' heart was to fulfill the will of the Father. Think about it, King Jesus, right, lived a perfect life, did everything the way he was supposed to. If you, t- if you ask me, he had every right to start barking out orders saying, hey, I don't deserve this. Hey, these people don't deserve me. And he was right. But instead, while sweating blood with agony, decided that, that he would, fo- f- would follow uh, his father's will that he would go to the cross, that the perfect king would be the sacrificial king. Like that's our king. So why does this matter to us, right? You got King Saul who Israel's first king, but wasn't really good. You got King David, right? He was a good king, but definitely not, not flawless, had his mistakes. Why does Jesus being king matter? Right? This has to be more than just like a history lesson in the Bible. Here's two reasons for you. One is because Jesus deserves our praise. Right? He, he deserves to be called Lord of our lives. You know, Another, name, another word for king is, is Lord. And you can choose to serve all kinds of different masters, all kinds of different lords, but none of them measure up the same way Jesus does. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that when we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, I skipped a part, that's really important. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. The reality is acknowledging Jesus as Lord is the most important thing you and I can do. It's so much more than just a attaboy, Jesus. Thanks for all you did. You're cool. Like, appreciate it. It's saying, I'm going to live my life for him. See, the second thing that, that this means for us is that we live for a kingdom that is not our own. We live for his kingdom. Living life to impress others, to build up our own status, to, to, to build up our own kingdom, it gets exhausting. Trying to, trying to make it, trying to become the next greatest thing never ends up really happening. So what would happen if we stopped caring about what others thought of us and we started caring more about how Jesus saw us? You know what I think would happen? I think our schools would look different. I think that there wouldn't be people that felt alone and isolated. I think our church would look different. I think that, that, that we would have a youth group that that had so many people that just felt welcome to come as they are, I think that our world could be different. If our focus was not on ourselves, but it was on Jesus and living for his kingdom, man, I think that some incredible things could happen. But we have to make that choice. Man, am I gonna live for myself? Am I I gonna live for, for my kingdom? Or am I gonna live for Jesus's? Man, there's plenty of celebrities out there. There's plenty of of important people out there that that you might look at and go, man, I wanna be like that person. I wanna follow them. I wanna follow their lead. And you know what always happens? At some point or another, they let you down. They fall short. Something happens to where you see, man, they're not perfect. But can I tell you something? Jesus is. Jesus is the only one that's perfect. Jesus is the only one that's worthy of our praise. You know, to be honest with you guys, like this past year, but but really these past couple weeks have been really difficult. I know for some people, you, you face it at different times and and you get to this point where you're like, man, I just need a win. I need something to go right. And when I was reading over this sermon, studying through it, like, I realized, man, we have the greatest win that we could ever ask for. We get to follow a a savior and a king that chose to to give his life for us. It doesn't matter what happens in our life. Will tough times come? Yeah. Will there be difficult seasons in our life? For sure. Many of you guys have, have faced all kinds of different things this past year. But one thing remains true is that God is on his throne in heaven and he can still be on, on his throne in our hearts. And my challenge for you today is to make sure that Jesus is in his right place. Not just that he's one of your priorities in life, but that he is first, that, that you've chosen to make him Lord of your life, king of your life, that you are choosing to follow his way and to live for his kingdom, not our own. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or even take a screenshot and share it to your social stories. And make sure to tag us at Crossroads Youth. Thanks again for listening. See you soon.